Hebrews 11, beginning there in verse number 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hebrews 11 is very familiar to many. It is often referred to as the chapter of faith, the hall of faith. It deals with a number of different aspects and principles regarding faith. It's most known for the characters in Scripture who begins by saying, by faith, uh, this individual did or this individual traveled, this individual went. Very, very important concepts. But when we keep in mind what we learned in Hebrews 10, we remember that Hebrews 10 was filled with words of not only warning, but words of encouragement and instruction regarding what true persevering faith looks like. The perseverance of the saints we dealt with uh, last week. Understanding that a faith that is truly saving faith, a faith that is truly persevering, is a faith that is understood uh, by those who have been chosen and redeemed. They have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Uh, They are not just hypothetically united with Christ, they are actually united with Him. Uh, There is a real communion, there is a real fellowship. And remember, faith, true faith, is a faith that we saw at the end of chapter 10 where it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. A true faith does not draw back into perdition. It does not draw back into the state in which it once was. He says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. There are two types. There are those who will never draw back, and then there are those who will draw back into perdition. But he says, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So true faith perseveres. True faith is never drawn away from. It is continuous. It perseveres by the strength and by the grace of God. So in this 11th chapter, with those concepts and those principles in mind, he speaks on a number of different aspects of faith. He deals with what faith is or the nature of faith. He shows us examples of the works of faith. And then we're also taught about the response of faith to the Word of God. How does our faith respond? If we have true faith, there is going to be a response to the Word as it is given. And then we'll see Uh, Some weeks down the road, we'll see how many. The chapter 11 concludes by giving these examples of those who lived by faith. So this morning, in order for us to even begin to expound these truths, uh, we truly need to understand the definition of faith. Uh, We would not think that in our Christian age, in our church age, that we would have to define faith, but we do. Uh, Faith is used in many different denominations. It's used in many different circles. And faith has different definitions, different origins, uh, how it's implied, how it is used, what it means, what it does, what it doesn't do. So faith has to be defined biblically. Well, there's one principle that we're going to kind of build around. This won't be the only principle. But one thing we do know about faith is that faith has evidence There is evidence that there is a saving faith. It is a faith that is not without works. Uh, Saving faith has evidence of a work being done in the recipient of faith. It's important to understand that faith is received. Faith is a gift of God. Faith is not something that we, uh, we intellectually arrive at and say, okay, I woke up today and I decided I'm going to have faith in God today or I'm going to have faith uh, in something. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, and you have to ask yourselves this personally, where is the evidence of your faith? Now, what evidence do you have in your life that you actually have faith? Uh, Faith can be wrongly applied to be placed in something or someone as a source of hope that cannot provide hope at all. 
It's possible to have faith in something that cannot help you. It's possible to have a type of faith in something that you say is my refuge. But true faith is based upon the faith in which God gives. So unless my faith is based upon what God says faith is, my faith is wavering and will crumble at some point. We might be today hiding in a false refuge. Today, you might have your faith and hope in something or someone. If I said today, are you all people of faith? Most everybody would say we're people of faith. But what is your faith? What is faith? Throughout the Bible, we have illustrations of where the Bible simply says faith is this or faith is that. You'll notice the very first expression that's used in chapter 11. It says now faith is. And he says it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So we're given a very basic definition. It is the substance. Now something that is of substance means of the essence of. But it's something that is not a false refuge, but rather it's the essence of assurance. It is certain, certain faith, a certainty. Not something that can crumble. Not something that can be broken down. There is an assurance with this. Now every true believer this morning, every true believer ought to have a full assurance of their saving faith. Now we studied even in our confession study that there are times when our assurance can waver to some extent. And a lot of those times our assurance wavers because of something we're failing to do in our own life. We're failing to live. We're allowed to live properly. We're not living holy. We're not living righteously. We're living as people uh, who sometimes seemingly become unconcerned about our own sin. We sometimes bring our own lack of assurance on ourselves. But do you realize that when God declares something to be, it is something that will never fade away. It is something that will never disappear. This morning, for the believer today, the true believer in Christ, I want you to have an even more certain assurance that the evidence of your faith arises from the Word of God. That's where we find it at. What is my evidence? My evidence of faith cannot just be something outwardly that I do. I can't say that I have saving faith because I'm in church today. I can't say I have saving faith because I read my Bible this morning. I can't say I have saving faith just because I was baptized or because I give. You know, all the, all the Christian cliches we've heard from all time. These are, these are the things, but it's so important. Because faith is based upon how God defines faith, not upon how we define it. So he says, where can evidence of faith be found? Well, he tells us the very first expression. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So let's consider, first of all, just faith on, its, on the face of it. Just faith alone. The only evidence that I can, the, the most important and the only true evidence that I can present for my saving interest in Christ is faith in Christ. In other words, the evidence of my faith is my faith in Christ. Do I have faith? Again, we'll define that in Christ. What am I trusting with certainty him for? What am I truly looking to him for? My faith is not based upon any other evidence if Christ is not the evidence of my faith. If I say I have faith in God, but I don't have faith in Christ, do I truly have saving faith? There's a world of people that say I have faith in God, but they do not have faith in Christ himself. They don't have faith in his righteousness. They don't have faith in his person. They don't have faith in his work. They have faith in an idea. They have faith in a concept. God is nothing more to them than a concept. When we begin to be accused, when the Bible tells us that Satan accuses the brethren, When the accusations come against our faith, what do we have to repudiate Satan with? We cannot send him away on our own strength, on our own merit, 
on our own desires. We have to repudiate him or to send him away only in the name of Jesus Christ and the faith in which we have in Christ. That is what drives the devil away. So when the accusation comes, you're not a believer. You're not in the faith. You're not truly in Christ. The very evidence of our saving faith is that Christ is the object of our faith. Without Christ, there is no object. There is no saving object. The Apostle Paul, throughout his writings, we're told to examine ourselves. Uh, This is sadly something that has gone missing in many churches and in many individual believers' lives. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. Paul doesn't indicate that this is a one-time examination. This is a repeated examination to examine over and over and over again to see if you be in the faith, he says. The only reason I have a clear understanding of my standing in God is by faith. If I say heaven or glory is my eternal destination, the only reason I can say that is based on my faith in Christ. Not on my faith in my person, not in the faith in my church, not in the faith of anything or anyone else. It's my faith in Christ. That is enough. The believer is reminded by the Spirit that these things are so. Oftentimes, we grow very frustrated with people. And we're all guilty of this. Why won't people understand this? Because you're asking them to do something that they cannot discern without the power of God regenerating that heart. Faith is not generated by you. You are not the one that works up faith and then says, okay, I have faith. Faith is what happens after a heart has been regenerated and been converted. Then I have the ability to have faith in these things. Sometimes we get this all out of order. We say, I have to have faith first, and then I'm converted. No, you're converted, regenerated, and then you have faith, and your faith now becomes evidenced by your works. If you turn it around, then your salvation becomes based upon your works. Works are the result of faith. But this faith in Christ alone, faith is. Faith is in Christ alone. Secondly, faith is the gift of God. It's the gift of God that is given to us through the Holy Spirit. Uh, If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll look at a couple passages this morning as we continue to define this. And again, today's message will not be a completion. So you might leave here today wanting more at the end. The prayer is always that we want a little bit more. We're not going to cover every aspect of faith this morning, but we're going to do our best to cover what we can. Ephesians 2, verse number 8. This is the classic verse about faith. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? Faith and the very blessings must come from God. Faith is a gift. Faith is not something that we have worked up. It is the gift of God. If God is the giver of the gift, then who has to create the regenerated heart? God has to do that. God has to create faith in a man. God has to create that faith. He creates that faith by regenerating that sinner. That sinner has to understand that what they are. The Apostle Paul in that same chapter, in verse number 1 of, of, uh, of chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. What can a dead man do? Nothing. I've got that written right after that verse. What can a dead man do? Nothing. I've given the illustration. You can go stand at the cemetery all you want. No person's getting out of that grave on their own. None of them is giving life to themselves. And somewhere along the line, the church veered off and decided that man could give life to himself. How can man, a dead man give life? He can't. They're willing to admit he, can give, he can't give life to himself physically, 
But certainly man can give life to himself spiritually. No, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. So if a man cannot give life to himself, can he create faith in himself? Absolutely not. He can't create something that he's not capable of creating. So faith is the gift of God. Paul, that entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 2, he covers the entirety of it all. He covers how it's verse 4, God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. And even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace, ye are saved. We'll come back to that. But that gives us this principle that faith is the gift of God. As Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he gives the results in some sense of this real faith is going to lead to or have the consequences, if you will, of suffering for this faith. Paul writes in Philippians 1, verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, notice what it says, Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe. He says right there, the gift to believe is given to you by God. And that with that, not only is the gift to believe there, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, we all like the part about giving us faith to believe, but we're not so, we're not so excited about the gift to suffer. But yet that's what he says. To suffer for my sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Paul says salvation is given to you and your suffering for this faith is the result of belief. Again, all the gift of God. Colossians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church at Colossae. You'll notice when he wrote to the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, and the church at Colossae, he used a lot of similar language. Each of those churches was a bit different into where he was focused on, but he constantly deals with this principle of faith being the gift of God. Colossians 2 verse number 12. It says, Buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are also risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. The operation of God, the very action that brings a man life is the operation of God. Now, why are all these things so? So that man can never boast. You realize the only thing we're allowed to boast in truly boast in is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And we're allowed to boast in it over and over and over again. Why? Because the cross points to the reality that man in no way, shape, or form had anything to do with his salvation. Yet God hath chosen before the foundation of the world. And these that have been chosen have been chosen with this gift of faith. So if something is a gift, it means it is given to us. That's profound, isn't it? A gift is given. Not only is it given to us, but the actual gift is born. It's wrought in us. It's created in us. It's, it's not something that we think about it, we ponder it. It's created in us. But how sad would it be for something to be created in us, but not sustained? See, not only is the faith created and given to us, but our faith is sustained in us by the same operations of God. You don't keep yourselves in the faith. The perseverance of the saints is the principle that God is keeping you in the faith. We are to be diligent about that, but ultimately you're not holding on to God. He's holding on to you. And again, I made mention of this. If we were left to us to hold on to God, every one of you would let go. And so would I. I know we're holy and pious and we think I've got this all figured out, but if God let go of you, you'd let go of him. And shame on us for thinking we're that holy and righteous that we would just do it on our own free will without the operation of God. So when we talk about faith, we're talking about something that no man can take credit for. We're sustained by the operation of God through the Spirit. I came across this principle this week, and it's simple, but it really stuck with me. Faith is not natural to man. It, it's not our nature to have faith. 
It's, it's not in the nature of man. No man can believe on Christ unless God gives that person faith. Some of you have had the same struggle I had for many, many years. You thought and were taught opposite of that. Completely opposite. You were taught the other side of that. That you wrought faith in yourself. That you were the operation of God. And yet, scripturally speaking, nowhere does it say that a man can rebirth himself or a man can give himself a new heart or a man can, can sustain himself or herself. It's that very difficult theological concept we're dealing with this on Wednesday nights with Matthew. Man is responsible to respond to God. So God is sovereign and yet, man is responsible, but we cannot unless God gives us a new heart to have faith. You say, preacher, that's too hard for my mind to grasp. Well, join the crowd. My mind still does not fully, my mind's never going to grasp that mystery. And someone that tells me this makes intellectual sense to me, I'm going to challenge you on it. Because intellectually, you can't come to the full understanding of that. Spiritually, we can. It's one of those great mysteries. Man has a responsibility. And yet we're told throughout Scripture that faith is a gift. Sadly, unless the Spirit of God gives us this faith, man will continue to hold on to his own works of righteousness. Sometimes we are in our desire to be a little softer a little bit more palatable. And I'm not talking about being rude and arrogant. You folks that know me well enough, I don't, I don't believe in that at all. But sometimes we have a tendency to say, well, it's just a difference of opinion. If a person thinks they create faith in themselves, they're, they're the same as we are. Are they really? Can a person who says, I have created faith in myself, actually have certain assurance that they'll be with Jesus when they die? If the Bible clearly says you cannot rot faith in yourself, you, cannot reach, you can't change your own heart, can I say we all believe in the same God, we're all going the same place, we just, we just believe in a different avenue to get there. Would God make it so that he would say that just choose your avenue that you want to go or would he say this is what faith is? Now it's interesting because in that first verse he says faith is the essence, the substance, of something that is what? It's unseen. It's hoped for. It's evidence of things not seen. So if we would have faith, and my, my admonition to you would be today, if today you're seated here today and you say, listen, I'm not sure that my refuge, what I'm trusting in, is correct then I would beg of you, cry out to God to give you understanding. Cry out to God to say, God, help thou my unbelief. Open my eyes. Help me see the truth. Plead with God to give you understanding because if you have that, even that inkling today that your faith is placed in something that is not sure and secure, then I would beg of you, cry out to God, Help me believe. Now again, not, God, I've done my part, you do the other. Give me faith. Convert my soul. We cry out to God. We hear about the gift of God. And we also understand, like even the Apostle Peter said in Matthew 14, Lord, bid me to come unto you. I would tell you, go unto him. I say it every Sunday. Run to Christ right now. Don't wait for some part of the service where you think, okay, this is the time where typically I've grown up in a church where they're going to do this, 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 and this, and that's the time that I get the... No, cry out to God right now. We don't have to have a special time set aside. Okay, now let's, let's make decisions. No. Cry out to God right where you're seated. Help my unbelief. You might actually be sitting here today saying, I don't believe this. 
cry out to God. Don't believe me, believe the Word. Believe what the Word of God says. Again, remember, we're not going to cover every avenue of this, but we're getting really deep into where this is going. So we understand that, secondly, faith is the gift of God. Thirdly, faith in Christ comes through God's appointed means. How does God call people to faith? It's the preaching of the gospel. That is the appointed means of grace. I know many places preaching has fallen out of favor. Preaching is now relegated to the end. It's relegated to a five-minute sermonette devotional. We just want to really sing and do all that stuff. Listen, the preaching of the Word is primary. It is the very thing in which, honestly, if you were to strip away everything we've done today, this is the primary time. If, I, if we showed up next Sunday and we said, there's not going to be a hymn, there's going to be a time of prayer, and we're going to open the Word of God, we would have been in obedience to God. Because it is the appointed means in which God is using to instill this faith in people, to rot faith through the power of the Word being preached and through the Holy Spirit of God. And sadly, isn't it sad that man has decided well, we need to make church more pleasing to the world. Not here. That's not the intent of this church. As a matter of fact, most people from the outside who come in who are of the world, who are unsaved, are going to find this quite dry and boring. They're going to find this, this is horrible. Because they don't understand. The primary appointed means in which even we understood our own election, our own choice of God, our own redemption, it was born through the preaching of the Word. Faith in Christ is born in the hearts of God's people by the preaching of the Gospel. Paul, again, we refer to him so many times in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, familiar verses to many of us. Again, this is not a new revelation today. You're not going to probably read, hear this verse and say, I've never heard that before. But in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The very gospel of Christ is the power unto God, unto salvation. Why? Because the gospel reveals God's righteousness and God's requirements, God's standards. In that same epistle, Romans 10, verse 17, Paul says, So then faith cometh by hearing. Okay, now don't miss these connected thoughts. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, here's the truth. Faith is not produced in every single person who hears it. Just because you hear it today doesn't mean faith is wrought in you at this very moment. Faith, though, comes from what? From hearing. This was largely, right, part of the context here is this, this concept was largely disbelieved by Israel. So there were those who disbelieved that entire thought that faith is born in all that hear it. And yet Paul is saying it's by this, but it's not in all. James 1.18 tells us a little bit more. James often a book we don't view much in the line of, of this idea of faith, but of course in, the, in the, the, the nature of what we're talking about this morning. But James 1.18 says, of his own will begat or born he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It is, we are made alive through his word, through the preaching of the word. And then one more, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25. Peter writes, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Being born again, 
by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower therefore thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So there is a knowledge that comes. Faith without knowledge is impossible. It has to have a right knowledge. It's a a knowledge based upon that which is truth. Faith that's based upon something's false is false faith. So if my faith is built upon, and let's use any false religion in the world, if my faith is built upon a false principle, then it's not real faith. If I have faith in another God, which there are no other gods, but I have a faith in a created God, that's a false faith. It's not a person's point of view. It's not a different opinion. See, in the world today, we, we, we have decided, well, maybe we should just let people have their own point of view. Faith is not about a point of view. There's only one faith. There's only one God. There's only one Lord. There's only one true God. Every other God is false. You say, well, that's not very polite. We're not going to get along that way. Folks, we can't compromise on the reality that scripturally speaking, there's only one God and there's only one faith. And that faith is based upon Christ alone. It can't be any other way. You say, well, you're excluding people. I'm not excluding people because you know what we're doing? We're inviting and commanding all to repent, regardless of what hope you've placed in. If you're caught up in a false religion, we're saying the same thing to you. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Come out of your false faith. Come out of it. But sometimes, in our, I think, fear, we're afraid of offending. Listen, the Word of God is going to offend. If you're standing for the Word and, you're not, and you, you are offending people and you're making them very angry with you, They're not angry at you first. They're angry at God. They're angry at Christ. They hate Him more than they hate you. You're caught up in it because you have your faith in Christ. That's why Jesus said the world's going to hate you. We're trying to fit into a society and to its ways, its precepts, its concepts. You're not supposed to fit in. You're not supposed to look like everything else. You are to be a peculiar people. You are to be different. We are to live differently, act differently, because we have a faith that stands alone. We are trying to convince ourselves, the modern church is trying to convince people that they can be saved before they even know what the gospel is. Folks, simply telling somebody to pray to God, I mentioned this this morning, again, I'll say it again, just having somebody repeat a prayer after you is not conversion. There has to be an understanding of the gospel. I hear people tell me that they were sitting at a concert, the gospel was never mentioned, There was talk about God. There was talk about this. They say, I was gloriously converted. You say, what is the gospel? They have no idea what the gospel is, but they say they're saved. Now, how can that be? If Paul himself says that the faith is born and is wrought by the preaching of the word. Now, again, maybe they heard it another time. Maybe they heard it in some other fashion. But folks, there are people who are relying upon some experience with God and they're saying, yes, I've heard the gospel. You ask them to tell you what the gospel is, they don't even know where to start. They have no idea. What's the first thing? You know, if if I was, and I would never do this to you, but if I was to put you on the spot right now and say, tell me what the gospel is in front of everybody in this room, tell me what it is. We should be able to do it. We should have an understanding of this is what the gospel is. And where would we even start? Would we start with how to get saved? Or would we start by knowing who God is? Will we, will we point to a knowledge of sin first? Can a person know they need the gospel if they don't know what sin is? Can they, possi- can they possibly 
Trust? What am I being saved from? I have no idea what I'm being saved from. You know, again, this is one of those church things we talk about. That's why we're very, very careful about even how we handle our children at this church. We're very careful because we do not even want to imply something that God is not rotting in them. But yet, that's why one of the beauties of this church and the beauties of church like ours is that we're all praying specifically for God to open the eyes of our children. Right? I'm praying for your children. I'm praying specifically for your children by name that God would open their eyes. And that God, in only the way he can, he's going to be the one that has to do it. We had to do it with our, with our kids, our girls. We, had to, we have to wait for God to do it. As badly as we want to settle these matters, faith comes from God. Nobody's going to trust in Christ until you see that you even need a substitute, that you needed somebody to take your place. God, the Bible says, can be just and yet justify the ungodly through the merits of Christ. We see that salvation is by grace alone. Fourthly, let's just briefly touch on faith in Christ is the evidence of grace. So faith in Christ is the sure and certain, infallible evidence, or we might say the proof and assurance of eternal salvation. If I have faith in Christ, then I have an infallible evidence. Now, that faith has to be based upon the knowledge of the truth, right? So my faith in Christ has to be founded on proper knowledge of Christ. Again, churches all over the world are talking about Jesus. They're talking about him. They're hearing it from the pulpit. They're hearing it in their small groups. They're hearing it in... But are they being taught what faith in Christ really is? Is that faith... Can that faith be relied upon. How often does somebody give a testimony of faith and their faith in Christ, they say all the right things. They understand it. They understand sin. They understand their own need of a savior. They understand this. They even understand the substitutionary atonement. They, they get it. And then we introduce questions like, well, are you sure? Are, are you sure? I mean, they're reciting back to you what faith in Christ actually is, and they might even be saying it better than you can say it. And we say, well, are you, are you sure? Listen, if a person is proclaiming these things, they are proclaiming something that is certain. They're proclaiming this is something that they understand is infallible. Now, again, I think in our pessimistic society, we have maybe gotten to that place where we're always trying to be sure that they did something right. Or, sadly, we see a person who proclaims faith in Christ and then suddenly does something that we don't agree with and we say, I wonder if they're really saved. We've all been there, right? Where we suddenly, again, we look at someone's life and we say, they must not really, that must not have really took. Can I tell you that we're all going to sin even after we've been saved? And that we better be careful because when we think we'll never be overtaken in a fault, we are, it is just as likely to happen to us. We're never to be so high and mighty and holy to say, this could never happen to me. I could never, ever do what they did. But listen, if their evidence that their faith is in Christ, that answers the question that he talked about, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is not the cause of God's grace and salvation. Faith is the evidence of those things. It's the evidence that I truly have God's grace and I have salvation and that I am truly united with Christ. Now again, today is not going to be exhaustive. We're not covering everything we could. But remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means the essence. The assurance or the certainty of the thing that we're hoping for. Faith is to possess ahead of time what God has already promised to give you. So when it talks about faith, I actually am in possession of what he's promised to give. John 6.47 says, Jesus' words were, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath 
in present possession everlasting life. Has God in His Word promised to preserve and keep all who believe in Him? Yes. He's promised to keep them. Faith is to be in possession of security. Did God promise that all who believed in Him, He would in no wise cast out? Did, did God Himself, through Christ, say, all that, does, that repents and believes on Me shall be saved? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? Again, the accusation against churches like ours is you don't believe in the whosoevers. You just heard me say it. All that means is whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why I had to look around the room and say, well, it's not for you, it's not for you, it's not for you. God calls who he will, but we're commanded to give the gospel to every single person that we see, no matter what they're in. Faith is a surety. It's a certainty of all these things. Did God promise to raise us up again? He certainly did. Every believer has been raised up once. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have been given new spiritual life in the new birth. The very fact that we have been raised from the trespasses and dead in our sins is God's own pledge that there's another resurrection coming. If you've been raised from your spiritual deadness, there's a promise of the second resurrection. The very, the very second death, when you are actually going to die, you're going to be placed in the ground, that will not have any power over the believer. Because he's already overcome it. That's why I don't stand here with uncertainty. I stand here knowing without, a, with, without any doubt in my mind what Paul said. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. That's exactly where I will be. And I'm not wavering on that. Because I said so? No, because God declared that to be so. That's my hope. My faith is resting in what he has already done, not in what I have done or what I'm going to do. He's promised that death will have no power over us. God has promised to take us unto himself. Eternal life is this present possession of all who believe. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, he says, we are already seated with the risen Christ in heaven. We're already seated there. And then faith is the evidence of things not seen. Evidence simply means proof. If I try to prove the guilt of something or I try to prove the existence of something, I have to produce evidence. I have to say, here's what proves that this is so. Faith is the very proof or confirms things that cannot be seen. Those promises that we're given, I can't see those right now. You can't see those right now. But faith is the evidence that you are in possession of, what those, of the understanding of those. When I read about the book of life, when I read about that in the book of Revelation, I know my name is there. I've never seen it, but I know it's there. It says I'm seated in heavenly places. I've never seen it, but I know I'm seated there. So what, am I, what, is, what are those words based upon? They're based upon faith. God-given faith. That these things which have been told to us are true. Everybody today says, well, I won't believe unless you can produce some tangible evidence I can see with my eyes. That's not what he says. He says faith is the evidence of things not seen. You hear me say this all the time. It means zero to me if you produced a religious relic from somewhere. It won't change my mind one way or the other. Somebody says, well, what would you do if they found the Ark of the Covenant? Nothing. It wouldn't change, my, it wouldn't change me for anything. What if you found Noah's Ark? What, what, what would we do if we found it? What would it do? For my faith? Nothing. Because I don't have to see it. It's the people that say, well, if I, if I go to the tomb where they buried Jesus, prove to me that's where they put his body. After we go through that line of reasoning, prove to me that's where he was, and then show me the tomb, and then I'll believe. I don't, 
have to see any of that. So what am I speaking? I'm speaking out of faith. Because it's not going to change that faith that's been wrought in me by seeing it. It's the evidence of things not seen. Faith verifies or confirms what we cannot see. We only know our name to be written in the book of life because of faith in Christ. Which leads us to the final thing this morning. We know that faith confirms our election. Faith confirms our election. We know, as the, as the writer says in Hebrews, and we'll deal with these, words, these phrases next week, but you'll notice it's interesting, of all the things that he could have gone to about faith, notice where he draws our attention back to. For by it, that's faith, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So he actually says that one of the ways in which the elders or the Old Testament saints confirmed this was by believing that the worlds were framed by the word of God. One of, the, one, of the great, one of the great attacks that's now started to creep into churches, <laughs> I never thought I'd see the day, and I'm not that old. I never thought I'd see the day when now churches are wavering on literal creation. They're literally wavering. They're saying, wait a minute. Maybe this, maybe this wasn't all God's creation. The Bible says it was. It settles it. And he says even the elders believe that. They obtained a good report that through faith we understand the words were framed. Believing God's revelation, we understand creation. Apart from faith, nobody could understand it. So we understand who Christ is. We understand what Christ has done for us. And it's only by believing in what God has revealed to us about His Son in the Scriptures. That's when the sinner is granted and given that faith in Christ. Remember this, our own worked up faith does not accomplish our justification. Your works did not accomplish your justification before God. It's not even your faith that makes you righteous before God. What makes you righteous before God and what accomplishes your justification was accomplished by Jesus Christ alone. Your justification is solely based on the merits and the work of Christ, not upon anything that you've done. Faith verifies that these things are true. So if I say today that I know that all of my hope, all of my resting, all of my security is found in Christ alone, it is the Holy Spirit of God that is confirming to me that these things are true. If you came in and told me that you think all the Bible is a lie and you debated with me and argued with me and tried to prove to me all that it's wrong, you're not going to take away the faith that's been wrought in me. Because I didn't rot it in myself. It's not based upon my opinion. It's based upon the declared word of God and what he says is so, and I believe it. Next week, we'll get into even more details about this, but you'll notice that he immediately begins to enter into certain characters of the Bible, and every one of them begins by that two-word, by faith. So what we need to understand is understand that they're starting from a point, they're starting from a point of regeneration. They're already... What they're going to tell us about is not what accomplished it. They were already in the faith when they did these things. And that's really crucial to understand because we'll get things turned around if we don't. Faith truly does confirm and verifies to us even the things that we cannot see. Today, I would admonish you, I I would beg with you, repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ Trust in him alone. And if you have set up some kind of a false refuge, and you you actually right now, you are feeling that it is completely crumbling underneath your feet, but you say, I still just can't believe, I cannot bring myself to understand this, beg God 
to give you belief. You say, I don't want to do that. Then don't blame God. Beg God to help you with your unbelief. Let's pray together. Father, we know this morning we are dealing with a most important subject as the entire Word of God is. And Lord, I pray that this morning, and as the Word of God has come, gone forth, we know that Your Word never returns void. And Father, although we may not see the working, we may not even fully understand what's happening in the hearts of people, Lord, we know that Your Word is moving. We thank You for the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that convicts us and brings us this enlightenment to understand and opens our eyes to see, points us to Christ and His accomplishment on the cross. Lord, if there be anyone here today who is resting in a false hope, something that cannot save them, Lord, I pray that according to Your perfect will that their eyes would be open to see, their ears would be unstopped to hear, and they would gloriously be converted today. And Father, may we never grow tired of hearing the gospel. May we never grow tired of being brought into remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He's done these things and accomplished these things not because we were worthy, but because He alone is worthy. And may we return praise and thanksgiving for all that we've heard today. We've heard so much to be thankful for. And Father, we do pray for our children. Well, we pray that at the appointed time and at the right hour and at the right moment, that you, according to your perfect plan and perfect will, would give them faith. And may we as a church be diligently helping and pointing one another and our families, helping them to grow and to learn about the things of God. May this church never give itself over to the foolish things of this world, thinking we've got to change the gospel, water it down, change it, make it more palatable, but just simply stand on the Word of God as it is. And know that the Word of God and your purposes and plans will never be thwarted. Father, thank you. We give you all the praise and honor and glory. And it's through your Son's name, Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Let's take